Let us all now stand with them and let us greet the class of 2013 one more time. Come on. Yes, indeed. Let's pray and start this time of celebration together. Father, thank you today for bringing us together to celebrate the graduation of Lauren, Ediberto, and Christopher. God, we thank you for their faithfulness to your call and their excellence in ministry and in academics to achieve such a great goal. Bless them, their family, and all those who are coming to celebrate them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. We want to just take a few moments to talk about what it means to graduate Bible college and what great things they have done to earn this privilege. Many don't know that Bible colleges are actually the foundation of our nation. So many times as I was in Bible college, people would say, hey, what are you doing that for? You know, are they going to pay you anything? Well, the first thing is when it comes to Bible college is it's kind of a catch-22, especially being in ministry. When somebody says, hey, are they going to pay you anything? That may be a concerned family member wanting to know, will you be able to make a living? And that's a great question to ask. But now being in ministry for over 15 years, living in a beautiful community of Elgin, people then say to me, huh, pastors get to live out here, huh? Pastors, yeah, you guys make pretty good money, don't you? Uh, so there's really no way to win. When, when you're starting off in the ministry, everybody has a problem with whether or not you're going to be able to take care of yourself. Once you start taking care of yourself, there's a group of people that think you've got it too good. Well, let me explain to you what Bible college is and what it's meant for our nation. Ever heard of Harvard? Ever heard of Princeton? Ever heard of Yale? How about here in Chicago? Have you ever heard of Northwestern? Do you know that all of these were Bible colleges at one time? Founded by ministers. As a matter of fact, Harvard was started out of the library of a minister so that the people of North America may have ministers trained in natural science, general studies, and in religion. This is what the dictionary teaches us about Harvard as coming from the words of one of the founders. After God had carried us safe to New England, we felt it convenient for God's sake to start a college, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches. When our present ministers shall lie in dust, it pleased God to stir up the heart of one Mr. Harvard. It was a guy named Mr. Harvard, a godly gentleman and a lover of learning, to give the one half of his estate towards the erecting of a college and a library. Do you want to know what the early motto for Harvard was? Make money or die trying? Do you think that's what it was? Do you think the early motto for Harvard was? Whoever dies with the most toys wins. The first model for Harvard University was truth for Christ and the church. Now, of course, Harvard has changed. It's become more liberal, and so has our nation. So I want to ask you a question, those of you who are here today. I don't want to talk about politics, but I just want to ask you a question. Do you think we should be more liberal than our founding fathers? 
more liberal in our beliefs about sexuality, government, and those things? Or do you think we should be more conservative, God-fearing, holding to the Constitution, and believing that this government was formed not to give us welfare, but to provide us a place of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Well, ask yourself the question, how do you answer it? I answer it with the resounding yes. Well, what is the problem today? Today, our universities, like our nation, has changed. And where did it start? With our Bible colleges. And that's why SUM, Bible College and Theological Seminary, is so important. Because what it's doing is providing a bedrock for our culture and civilization. It's saying that if the church is right and its leaders are right, then the government will be right, the family will be right, and the economy will be right. You might say, Pastor, well, you putting the church at such an important role probably is just your own opinion. Well, I have a list of 16 founding fathers, 12 of them who signed the Declaration of Independence and many the Constitution. And guess what those 16 founding fathers' main degree was? John Quincy Adams and many others, our third president, uh, sixth president rather, guess what their main degree was? A seminary degree. Why were lawmakers also seminary students? Because the Bible is a book of law. The Bible is a code of ethics. And when one interprets it properly, they become a better governor. And then when one applies it to their job, they become a better boss. Let's just take a couple of these laws from the Bible, and let's see how our culture is doing today. How about this one? Thou shall not lie. Do you think more people in Congress need to abide by that? Or do you think they're doing just fine as it were? Wouldn't it be better to have seminary-trained leaders in Congress again who understood what it meant to thou shall not lie? How about thou shall not steal? Is that pretty important? How would you like to have your boss have a seminary degree, understand the law of God, and rule and run your company with the motto, thou shall not steal? Would you be happy with a boss that didn't steal from your pensions and 401Ks? I would. So what does SUM Theological Seminary have to do with this? They are carrying on that tradition. Chicago was established many years ago, and Nancy and I were walking around, and we saw the water tower, and it was quite a spectacle, and I was actually surprised about how clean it was. I don't know if they clean it all the time, but it just reminded me that there are things in this city that have withstood the fires and withstood the different tests of our city. One is a water tower, and the other is a great church. The first church of Chicago was founded by the Methodists. They were known as being methodical in their discipleship. If you wanted to join them, you didn't just come to church. You had to join one of their holy clubs. What do you think you learned in a holy club? You learned how to be holy. And then if you were in the holy club, you could join one of their societies. I know we hear this now in our day and age, you think you're highfalutin from a better society. No, but actually in this time, to be a part of a society, what it meant was you were differentiating yourselves from the common people of your day, that you would live better, talk better, 
So to be a Methodist, you would have to join a holy club. You would then have to join a society. And then what would you do? You would take part in the method of winning souls. Well, lo and behold, some Methodist circuit preachers riding on horses came to Chicago right at its founding. And they started the first church, still downtown today, having survived the Chicago fire. But what else did these great Methodist preachers do? They founded a university named Northwestern. Do you know what Northwestern's still today, its motto is? What do you think Northwestern's motto is? Is it doubles, the Blackhawks? Do you think their motto is something that you would see today on TV? Of course not. Their motto is still to this day, whatsoever things are true, the word full of grace and truth. You can go see it downtown in Evanston and around the city. But over time, they lost that heart. The Methodist church downtown, though I don't mean to judge it, doesn't have the same influence it once has had. Northwestern still doesn't teach its students to abide by the very scripture that they were founded on, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. So why is the School of Urban Mission so important? Because over 20 years ago, a man started a Bible college that allowed us just five years ago to put a campus in every church that so desired. And so now, the bedrock of society, Bible college-trained ministers, is happening here today. Are we the only ones? No. But we are one of a few. Psalms 127, verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand in vain. Before you today... You see Bible college trained students that are now saying on behalf of the Lord, I will watch this city. Who would you rather trust to take care of the sex trade industry? A police officer or one of our very own? Who is magna cum laude? Lauren Sienski, who has a heart to reach out to the sex trade industry. Ask any police officer, any law enforcement uh, representative, any politician, how do we stop something like sex trafficking? Laws are good. Police officers are good. But can they stop the heart of men who desire prostitutes? No, they can't stop the heart. But God through Lauren can stop the heart. God through a preacher like Lauren can change the heart of men and women. Pastor Berto has given himself locally to this congregation to say, I will counsel and pastorally care for a group of 150 people, men, women, and children. Who would you rather go to counseling for in your marriage problems, Dr. Phil or Pastor Berto? Would you rather pay a psychiatrist, $100 an hour, or be able to freely call on the cell phone and set up an appointment freely at your convenience to meet with a gifted, trained pastor who knows and loves you. And then Pastor Chris has given his heart 
to be on the mission field with his wife Vanessa who graduated last year. He's already spent a summer in the villages of Mexico and also taking a trip to India. My friends, in a world where we are in conflict with different ideologies, who do you want to represent the ideology that you have? Do you want Donald Trump to be your representative to India? Do you want our president to be the representative to the nations? Or would you rather have a servant who will lay down his life and give to the poor and the needy and preach the gospel without any false motives representing your values? My friends, it was once said to a great pastor, I think you could run for president. He said, I'm sorry, I'm already doing something more important. I'm pastoring my congregation. Society, history, and the Bible prove to us that unless the Lord builds the government, the government will fail. That unless the Lord builds the family, the family will fail. Unless the Lord builds the economy, the economy will fail. And unless the Lord gives us our rights, we will have none. I want you to think about this in closing to my speech for this precious graduation that Paul, many years ago, wrote about studying the Word of God and the importance that it would have. He said in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to study to show yourself approved as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but who rightly handles the, the word of truth correctly. Now ask yourself once again, if someone can be trusted with the Ten Commandments, can they be trusted with a business? Can they be trusted with man's law if they've been trusted with God's law? Wouldn't the answer be yes? That if I haven't stolen and lied and cheated and done those things, wouldn't I be able to hand in a report on time or give a paycheck to my employee or make sure their benefits are always there for them? Wouldn't I be able to do that? Yes or no? Can I hear a yes if you believe it? But today we've pushed the church back into the realm of myth, and, and in some ways we don't even give the church the, the same proper time we give myth. Uh, think about how much you watch TV this week and how much you watched movies compared to what you did at church. Now, unless you're watching news all the time or sports, most of you were watching myths, make-believe TV shows, make-believe movies, and yet the average American does not go to church and spend two hours in church. The average American only goes to church once a month and only spends one hour in that church. So average Americans, I assume you are one, have you spent more than one hour watching TV or movies this month? The average American spends more time with myth than they do with the Word of God. And maybe they don't think it's important. Maybe they think John Quincy Adams and those who signed our Declaration and those who made our Constitution and the Bible colleges and framed our, uh, our way of, of doing things, maybe they think they have a better way, right? Maybe we don't need God. That's the idea. But in this same book, Paul warns, of what would happen if we no longer rightly divide truth. If we no longer start with the Bible to be the bedrock of our morals, he said this would happen. Now as I read what he said 2,000 years ago would happen, ask yourself if that's what you see happening today. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
ungrateful, unholy, without compassion, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Seems spot on to me. Jersey Shore, anyone? Real Housewives of Orange County? How about the latest music fad? How about the latest politician scandal and controversy? Has it not been proven to us that when we lose the bedrock of Bible colleges raising up ministers to serve wherever they may serve in our society, that we suffer? Has it not been proven to us that we are now suffering? So from my point of view, of course, from a pastor, I applaud them. But sir, if you're a policeman, you should applaud them. Ma'am, if you're a business person, you should applaud them. If you're a voting citizen of America, you should applaud them. If you care about the hurting, the poor, in works of charity, you should applaud them. So today, we're not playing make-believe. They didn't graduate a Bible study. Our church has those. They have graduated a theological seminary just like our presidents did, just like the movers and shakers and the founders of our country did, and just like people we admire have done. And just to summarize what I have just said, a sociologist did a study on the different social trends in America to see what really has changed because obviously no one is happy with the culture the way it is. Everyone has a bone to pick somewhere. Everyone can agree Chicago with 500 murders last year is a problem. We all can agree that the murdering of unborn children, even if you're uh, pro-choice, can admit that it's way too many. It's out of hand. And we can admit the, the corruption and the global greed of these businesses. We all admit something is wrong. So this English professor, Professor Carolyn Kane, wanted to write an article for Newsweek to find out socially... What has changed? Really, what is the difference in American culture? Some things have always been the same. There's always been mean people. You can watch an old Western and see a shoot them up uh, going in the uh, saloon. You know, we've always had jerks. And there's been things in American history like slavery and oppression. So we've always had bad versus good. But why does it seem like evil is winning the battle? She did a study. And do you know what she said? Do you know what her answer was? This is what she wrote in Newsweek, of all places. But how can we revive interest in the art of thinking? The best place to start would be in homes and churches of our land. She realized that we stopped thinking when we stopped going to church and having home Bible studies. 
When I teach you in church as a pastor, and as they will as well, they cause you to think and reflect on yourself. When else do you really get to do that? If you speed through life like you're in the Indy 500, you can avoid a pit stop unless you have to sleep. So really, pit stop, sleep, and get back up and do it again. But what does church do? Church puts on the brakes as you get out of the race, turn off the engine, and you evaluate yourself. You hear the word of God preached. You see it modeled in other people's lives. You have a standard to look to, the Bible. And then it provokes you to go home and do the same thing. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. We have a family fun day once a week. We put on the brakes. We turn off the phones. We put all other things aside. And we spend time with the family. And we reiterate our values about God. And we share that together. Our nation needs that again. And these three graduates represent the bedrock of that change. And so to each one of them, I salute you for what you have done. Thank you for what you did in this church and for our city and for the vast amount of people around this country and the mission trips and the places you've gone. Metro Praise supports you and gives you a place here. But your degree opens the door for you to work anywhere they recognize your hard work. And we publicly, in front of everyone here, release you to follow your dreams wherever they may be. If you want to be a children's pastor somewhere in Oregon, go be the best children's pastor. If you want to work in uh, Calcutta, India with sex trafficking, we support you in your heart to go there. If you want to go and start a church somewhere in South or Central America, we stand by your efforts. And if you decide to stay here in Chicago, we also support you. And we pray that God will bless you wherever you go and that the employers that you work for would sense something different about you and that they would give you the opportunity to succeed and show your gifts and talents as well. At this time, I'm now going to ask our magna cum laude student, which means she had a 3.5 or higher GPA, give her speech to us. Lauren Sciensky, would you come, please? Good afternoon. On behalf of the graduates, I would like to say thank you to our families, church family, and leaders for staying to celebrate this exciting moment in our lives. Without all your love and support, we wouldn't be here, so we are glad to spend it with you. I'm honored to stand before you today representing the School of Urban Missions and Theological Seminary MPI cohort graduating class of 2013. As I ponder upon the three long years that it took me to get here, I can't help but to be blown away by the faithfulness and love of Jesus Christ. Without him, I would be lost in this world without a purpose and without a destiny. He has given me a reason to live and a reason to reach out to a broken and hurting world. I stand tall today because of him, and I look forward to fulfilling the call that he has placed on my life. Therefore, I would like to say thank you, Jesus, for never leaving me and for always keeping your promises. I would also like to thank my amazing husband who covers me with prayer, love, and support. You have truly made me feel safe and secure in my decision to pursue full-time ministry. I would like to say thank you to my pastors who speak life over me and have encouraged me in some of the hardest times in my life. 
I'm glad that I don't only have to call you pastors, but I can also call you friends. I would like to thank my family, my father, brothers, and sisters for loving me through all the different stages I went through. I know at times it must have been hard. I couldn't ask God for a better family. I would like to thank the staff of SUM and the numerous amount of godly professors that have spoken into my life throughout the years. What a privilege it was to sit in some of the classes of some of the most humble and powerful men and women of God. I appreciate all my friends, my family in Christ, and my fellow SUM students. All of your influences in my life will not be easily forgotten. When I first began Bible college, I was a single mom with a bad attitude. Although at times I'm still working on the bad attitude, I can attest that God has completely transformed my life. I remember moving into the girls' dorm with my one-and-a-half-year-old and seven other girls. If anybody knows anything about women, you could probably assume we didn't get along all the time. It was a hard but beautiful experience. The cleaning, the fines, the curfew, the devotions, the rebukes, the love, the tears, and the crazy times of laughter helped mold me and helped me become a more responsible woman of God. Some of my closest friends and strongest bonds were developed through the dorms. Honestly, there was something very special about them. Eight single girls moved in, and one by one, they began to get married off. Bible college truly became bridal college. It must have been something in the water, because my Prince Charming finally came along, stole my heart, and we were married by May 2011. This was an answer to prayer, because not only did I receive a husband, but the best father for my child. As I speak about these things today, I'm reminded of the struggle that I had between choosing Bible college or a different route. However, one day on my lunch break from work, Jesus spoke so clearly to me through the following Bible verses. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? I knew at that moment that I was called and chosen. I only say these things to help you understand that everything good I spoke of previously was because I was obedient to Jesus Christ. I know and believe that I would not be in the place that I am in my life if I were not obedient. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, to be obedient to the call of Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. Now to my fellow graduates, praise God we did it. I will never forget all the long nights of studying or the feeling that research papers were taking over our lives. If we never have to do any of those again, that's enough to rejoice about. But I know that we have far more to be grateful for. We not only had to do academics, but we had the honor of spending a countless number of hours on the streets of Chicago preaching the good news. We've seen people healed, delivered, saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and so much more. Going to New Orleans to preach the gospel at Mardi Gras is something that has changed our lives, and the experiences we had there will live with us forever. What an honor it has been to serve beside some of the greatest men and women of God. Let us never forget that we have, all the, we have the highest calling in all the land. Be encouraged that the Lord will complete the, goal, complete the work that he started in you. Thank God that we have accomplished the goal that was set before us. And now let's look forward to going into this new season as ministers of the gospel. Let us take Paul's words as the anthem of our lives. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind 
and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Thank you. They have a video they have prepared about their experiences in school.
Amen. We just, we just want to pray for them now. Um, graduates, would you stand up, please, and come in, in front here? For those of you who don't know about SUM, the main campus is in Oakland. There's currently about 500 students. It's the fastest-growing Bible college in its division. And these three are graduating with an army. They were invited to go to the Oakland graduation, but for whatever reason, they decided to stay here. And I want to thank you on behalf of them for celebrating it with them. But they are not alone. Not only do they stand with the hundreds of other SUM students around the country, and even now in other parts of the world, but they are a part and of an elite group, an elite group of servants who have given their life to the call of ministry. And so whenever you pray for your family, 
would you remember to lift up the ministers you know, and maybe for this week, them by their name? Ministers make a sacrifice to do what they do. And I appreciate you for being here, and may we always remember the sacrifice they made so that we can learn more about the Word of God and be helped in our lives. Amen? The elders and deacons, would you come forward now? We're going to pray for them. Would you guys, uh, and, and lady, uh, ma'am, take a step forward, sister. Hallelujah. In our church, these are our leaders standing behind their pastors. These leaders are their pastors, but these leaders are praying for them. Brother Ish has been one of the faithful, along with Brother Ricky, from the beginning to see them start. Ish, would you come and pray our prayer of blessing over their lives on behalf of the church? Heavenly Father, we love you. We lift you up right now, Lord. As I stand here before these graduates, God, I am honored to be among men and women of God who didn't care what anyone else thought, who didn't care what they were, the ridicule or slander that they received. God, but they cared about picking up their cross daily and following you. Dear Lord, bless them. Encourage them, God, in those dark days of ministry, in those moments, God, where they feel they're all alone, at those times, God, where, where they don't know what to reach, who to reach out to, God, encourage them. Use us, Lord, to build them, lift them up. Father God, as family members, as friends, use us, God. Remind us every day in our prayer, Lord, to lift them up. God, I pray for Lauren, Eddieberto, and Chris, God. I've never met another batch of humble men and women. God, I thank you for them. God, as they stand in your identity, as they stand in who, who they are in you, God, I pray that others would be drawn, drawn to you, Jesus. That others would know the power and the love you have for them. Through these men and women, Lord God, let them be vessels of your love. And grace poured out to those around them, God. Lord, use them in their endeavors, Lord, in everything that they seek to do, everything they plan, God. The dreams you've given them, Lord. Let them hold on to the dreams and visions that you've given them, God. They're not just something that they've conjured up in their own thinking, God. You have poured them into their minds, Lord. Lord, we pray for a manifestation of dreams, God. A manifestation of your glory in them and through them. We lift up the class of 2013 and we place them in your hands, God, as they are seated in heavenly places now, God. Lord, encourage them. Lift them, God. Provide for them, Lord, everything they need, God. No lack in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Leaders, you may be seated. On behalf of being a professor and having been a graduate of SUM, I just want to give you the parting words that uh, 
I felt very special to me. It says in Mark that Jesus called to those whom he wanted to be with them and that he might send them out to preach. The most amazing thing about Christianity, in contrast to every religion of the world, is that we believe Christ Jesus himself walked on this earth as one of us, took our sins on the cross, redeemed us, and is now in heaven next to the Father interceding for us. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, who he said in uh, John 14, he would send in his name another counselor to always be with us. And we know it can only be but God, because who can be with everyone at any time? We know that the Father and the Son sent him the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, another in the Greek, Elion, of the same kind, of the Father and Son. What kind are they? Of the God kind. These three are one, one God. The Holy Spirit is with you, and therefore you have the same honor that the first disciples had. By the Holy Spirit, he will sit you in heavenly places next to Jesus. You will be able to commune with him, hear the Father's heart. Our God is a Father. Some religions say, no, he's not a Father. The greatest relationship you can have with him is master to servant. Yet our God says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you my friend. And then in Revelation, he says, I will be their God. They will be my children. He is our father. Jesus taught us to pray to him, our father. So this verse that sticks out to me, he called those whom he wanted to be with him that he might send them out to preach. Though Jesus is seated next to the father, he is still calling by the Holy Spirit those whom he wants. Make time every day to spend with Jesus. And as he sends you out to preach, be a coal of fire. To those who are dry, be refreshing water. To those who are in darkness, be light. And to those who have lost hope, be compassion and grace and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray now on behalf of the school. Father, I thank you. On behalf of the School of Urban Missions, who I had a privilege of graduating from, being a professor, cohort leader with my wife, Lord, bless these future ministers and servants. May they always remember the motto of SUM, servant of all. May they put you first in all they do and others, loving their neighbor as themselves. And may they leave a legacy of lives changed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand to your feet as I introduce to you officially the graduates of 2013, Christopher Vitali, Eddie Porto, Guevara, and Lawrence Sienske. We are now going to stay up here so you can shake their hands. DJ, put that party music on and come up and celebrate with them. Give them a big God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for coming.